Back to uh, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Um, the text that is uh, kind of under scrutiny tonight is, um, you know, last week I told you it was just such an uh, incredible claim that he made that he got his gospel um, by the revelation from Jesus Christ. These two verses that we're going to look at tonight, 13 and 14, are really rather sad, and I'll try to explain, but let me read it to you first. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Um, guys, starting in verse 13 and pretty much to the end of, well, pretty much maybe even to the end of chapter 2, but certainly through the middle of chapter 2, Paul um, begins to give you his testimony. Um, The purpose of his giving his testimony in in this particular setting is to um, support his claim that he made in 11 and 12. You know, that I, that I didn't get this from anybody. I, I got it from direct revelation. And, and so to, to support that claim, he begins to tell you kind of a travelogue or a timeline as to where he was and such and such so that, so that it would um, mute the, the, the criticism that, oh, you just learned this from somebody else. So that's why he's giving you his testimony at this point. Paul gives his testimony um, in the New Testament several times. You can find I think you, I think you can find it three times in the book of Acts alone. It's 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 in the New Testament uh, frequently. Um, and and by the way, um, do you have a testimony? <laughs> do, I mean, in, in evangelical circles, we know what a testimony is, don't we? You know. Uh, do you have one? I mean, um, have you ever shared it? Could you share it? Um, I, I, I'm not sure we're going to do this. I, I, maybe we will uh, if we've got some time, um, not, not tonight, but time uh, before the end of May but when I quit. Um, I, I'd like to spend some time on this whole subject of testimony um, you know, some kind of the nuts and bolts of, of a testimony. Uh, not that anybody's going to have to stand up and share anything, God forbid. Um, but that, that um, because Paul's testimony is in the New Testament several times, and I, and I, I would like to help you uh, put together yours, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But um, what you're, what you're getting, beginning of verse 13, and as I said, is, is Paul's testimony. Um, and, and you know how Paul was, was, was saved. Do you not? It was on the road to Damascus. He, uh, well, let, me, let me just read you. Um, th- these are just the, the first two verses of, of Acts 9. He, um, um, he was, a, of course, this arch opponent of the church, and it says... Uh, uh, then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found anyone who were of the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
You know that story. He's on his way to go do that. And uh, uh, he's met on the road to Damascus by Jesus and is converted uh, in the next 48 hours or 72 hours or so. But the point is, um, when you have a conversion experience like that, you, you learn a good deal about how God is going to save people. Um, <laughs> um, Paul was on his way to persecute the church, and yet God intervened to save him from himself. And so you begin to learn some things about how God is going to do this for people. It's not going to be based on my performance because my performance is I'm just a, I'm on my way to persecute you, and um, and you save me nonetheless. But you learn some things about that this is going to have to be not by performance but by sheer grace, and um, uh, that of course begins this learning process, which began on that road. Um, uh, to Damascus, um, he, he learned that all of his law keeping, all of his his um, his uh, punctilious behavior uh, in 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 an effort to keep all the law didn't matter. It didn't matter a hill of beans. But but I'm I'm suggesting to you um, that learning the gospel in its fullness and how to defend it is something that he that took place in that three-year period in Arabia that we're going to talk about in the coming couple of weeks. Um, Now, guys, as for verses 13 and 14, there's really not much in there. (laughs) At least there's not much in there by way of some kind of new theological insight. But there is something in there that I think is very profitable for us. There's no new insight to give you about your ecclesiology or your eschatology or your pneumatology or your... None of that's in there. But there is something that I think should, could profit us, and it's merely this. Guys, if righteousness according to the law could have saved anybody it would have been this guy. If, um, let me put it in terminology that evangelicals tend to understand. If good works could have saved anybody, it would have been this guy, Saul slash Paul. Can, can, can I read you, this is out of Philippians 3. He says, if uh, others have confidence in the flesh, I, I have more confidence if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I, I, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. If anybody could have expected to have appeased the deity through his behavior, it would have been this guy. And yet he discovered that it was all it was all useless. He tried it, or he tried to um, reconcile himself via his behavior with God and found that it just won't work. 
You, you know, guys, um, I, I ran across a, um, a quote recently that really had an impact on me. Um, and it has nothing to do with drug use, but um, the, the, um, the quote was this. Um, the use of heroin is a tacit admission that happiness cannot be found. Now think about that. <laughs> um, the use of heroin. And by the way, I, I, you know, Landon tells me that today, you know, marijuana is the new beer. Um, you know, kids don't do beer anymore. They do marijuana. You know, I, I did hear on the radio the other day, this, uh, this, this DJ was interviewing this woman about Friday. It was Friday. It was on a Friday. And what were her plans on Friday night? And, and this woman was saying she was going to be, you know, partying someplace. And the DJ said to her, he said, well, I guess about the only thing left to ask you is medicinal marijuana or beer. You get that? I mean, you know, what are you going to be using tonight? Uh, which which one of those is is your is your drug of choice? Well, according to Landon, you know, um, uh, marijuana is just the new beer, and then of course heroin is is easy to get. It's 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 less expensive than cocaine, and so you know we hear we hear more than you know of uh, kids in our sphere of influence messing around with heroin. Now, with, with that said, let me let me read this to you again. The use of heroin is a tacit admission. Do you know what the word tacit means? Tacit, it means uh, silent or quiet. If you're, if you're a taciturn person, uh, oh, Jimmy Young is taciturn. <laughs> I guess you know what the word taciturn means then, don't you? Um, tacit means it's kind of a silent admission, kind of a quiet admission. The use of heroin is a tacit admission that happiness cannot be found. Do do you get that? I've looked over here. I've looked over here. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried the other. I thought it was here. I thought it was there. I thought it was elsewhere, but it's not anywhere. I guess we're just going to have to do heroin. It's a tacit admission that happiness cannot be found. They've looked. It's like the Apostle Paul. I I looked at that. I looked at that obedience to the law stuff. And it wasn't there. If anybody should have been able to find some kind of reconciled relationship between a sinful man and a holy God, it should have been me. But it wasn't there. Um, I used to tell a story years ago. In fact, I think, I don't know where I got this story. I think I got this story. I think I got it from Chuck Brown. A Chuck, I mean, Steve Brown. But it could have been Chuck Swindoll. That's Chuck Brown. <laughs> um, I don't know which one I got it from. But um, it was, a, and I told it so often, I, I'm sorry, many of you, but some of you knew. You hadn't heard the story about the caterpillar whose name was Stripes. Did you ever hear about stripes? You didn't hear about stripes. Stripes was a caterpillar. And um, uh, stripes grew up to be an adult caterpillar, and he found him a little female caterpillar, and they got married and settled down. And um, uh, he said to his wife one day, you know, I want to be a somebody. 
she said, I understand, honey, I support you. And she said, and so one day he was, he was outside and he noticed off in the distance that there was this big mound. He couldn't see exactly what it was, but it was a mound. It was a tall, tall thing. And so he went back inside and he said, well, honey, I, you know, I, I don't know what to, to, to think of this, but, you know, I'm going to have to go look into it. And so she said, fine. And she packed his, uh, his suitcase and, and off Stripes went and headed to the mound. And so he made his way over there. And the, and the, 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 the closer he got, he noticed that there was, it, was a, it was a point where just dozens and perhaps hundreds of, of caterpillars were converging. They were coming out everywhere, just making their way to this mound. So they were all going over there and, you know, headed in the same. And so he got closer and closer. And finally, he realized when he got close enough that the, that the mound that he saw off in the distance was a, was a collection, a stack, a, 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 a collection of caterpillars, other caterpillars. And so he looked around and he saw everybody else, you know, headed to that mound. And he said, well, you know, I might as well. I might as well go, you know. And so he got to the bottom, the base of the, of the, of the mound, and he started crawling upwards because he was going to try to make it to the top of the mound like everybody else around there, you know. And, and he said, the, you know, the, 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 the further I got up the, the mound, the harder it got to, um, to, 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 to get any higher, and people were in my way. And so it, sooner or later, I had to elbow people out of the way, and then on occasion, I had to kick somebody off the mound, and, you know, they fell down and, to their, and they splatted on the, on the ground. And, and then, you know, he was getting closer, and he was about midway, and all of a sudden, there was a big shaking of the mound, and, and bodies were flying everywhere, and, and all these these. these Caterpillars were just flung off of the mound, and, you know, it just messes all over it. But he said, well, you know, it was really sad, and, but I noticed that there was more room at the top. And so he kept, you know, striving on further and further, and, and um, as, he, as he got almost to the top, he heard somebody cry out quietly, he heard somebody say, there's nothing up here. And um, I hate this thing. Um, he heard somebody say, there's nothing up here. And um, right after they said that, somebody else said, Shut up, you fool. We're up here. That's what's up here. Let me go back to my quote. The use of heroin is a tacit admission that happiness cannot be found. You know, um, we've tried it. We tried to climb that corporate ladder, didn't we? Haven't we? Aren't we? And, 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 and what, did it, what, what has it gotten for you? A little bit more inability to sleep at night? A little bit more fracture in the family? What's it gotten you? What kind of, what kind of return have you gotten on your investment? Because ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing up here. There's nothing up there. 
And, and, and I, I say that because if anybody, if, if, if anybody should be able to say, well, I tried my best to be reconciled to God and I, I did everything necessary. And you know what I found? There's nothing up here. There's nothing up there. Won't work. It's empty. That's why this text is sad. I, 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 I thought that that was the way that ultimately I was going to have some kind of meaningful spiritual existence. There's nothing up here. Because that's the wrong, that's the wrong, that's the wrong place to apply your efforts. And that's what I see in the Apostle Paul. Just this poor guy um, trying to make it to the top of Judaism and never made it only because he got arrested. He got arrested by Jesus Christ and who stopped him in, in this insane pursuit of, um, of something that was meaningless. Um, guys, Paul couldn't work out his relationship with God by his behavior. That's what this text says. And neither can you. I sure hope you know that. I sure hope that there's crystal clarity about that in your mind. Because, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing blinder than being blind to your blindness. Um, he, he describes himself as surpassing all of his contemporaries or most of his contemporaries. Um, nobody in, in, in Judaism could keep up with him. He was kind of the fair-haired boy, kind of the golden boy of Judaism with all of his zeal, and he persecuted the church, you know, and then when they, when they finally killed Stephen and he held all their coats, then he went to the high priest and said, could I have some directives from you? Because I want to go to Damascus. I want to direct some of those nasty old cult figures back to Jerusalem with me. You know, I, I had this thought. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why Galatians was so much loved by Luther, Martin Luther, because Luther was doing the same thing, just in a different... I mean, Paul was doing his in Judaism. Luther was doing his in Roman Catholicism. That, that, that endless pursuit of, of earning my, my favor with God. Paul did it with Judaism, and Luther did it with Roman Catholicism, and guess what? Neither one of them work. Um, in, the, in, in Paul's mind, Christianity was a cult. And so he was just, he was most likely to succeed. You know, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to get them and I'm going to drag them back over here and, and I'm going to jail them all because that's what they deserve. It's tragic. And yet, of course, it has a, it has a happy ending. But I do want to draw your attention to one other thing, and then I'll, I'll quit for the night. But this is in verse 14. He says, I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I just wanted to draw your attention to that little phrase there, the traditions of my fathers. What is that? What is he, what is he referring to? Well, in my, um, in my preparation for tonight, I, I ran across an article 
And it's a long article, and I'm not going to read it to you. Uh, I think I'd bore you more than I already am. Uh, but, um, you know, all of my Christian experience, I've heard of some words um, yeah, um, I, that I bet you've heard of and never knew what they were. Well, I've heard of the words, and I kind of knew what they were, and yada, yada, yada. And so I just want to try to, I, I want to try to, I'm not going to read this to you. I'm just going to try to lift out what this, what this article is about. It's about the traditions of men that Paul was really big on, you know. Um, the, the guy opens the article with this observation, which really caught my attention. He said, the first five books of Moses, now you know that's the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. The first five books of, the, of Moses can be written in about 350 pages. The Talmud. Have you ever heard of that term? I mean, you've heard of that term, I bet. I, I mean, do you know what it is? I, I'm not sure I did, and I hope I'll. But um, the, 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 the first five books of the Bible can be written in about 350 pages. The Talmud takes up 523 books and is printed in 23 volumes. Um, the, the, the Talmud actually began with something called the Midrash. Uh, yes. Now, I'd heard that term before. I'd, I'd heard what the Midrash is, and, but I'd, I'm not sure. I, uh, because there's, a, there's another one, not only the Midrash, but the Mishnah. Have you heard of that? You heard of these terms? Well, let me tell you what these things are. Um, these are basically, and I, this is an understatement, but they're basically commentaries. Now, this one is later than this one. I mean, this one was like 450 B.C. This came like 150 B.C. Um, this one was uh, really influenced by Greek thought, Alexander the Great, you know, and Greek and Athens. And all. So they really wanted to, you know, brighten this thing up and, you know, make it smarter. So they, they took this thing and they just, they did, this one was smarter. But these two things, as I understand it, comprise that thing. Uh, 523 books in 23 volumes. They're, they're, the, they're the distillations of uh, Jewish scholarly work over, I mean, th- they study the first five books of the Bible. The, that's, you know, that word. They study the Torah, and then they come up with commentary. Commentary, you know, illustrations of the Torah. And, and um, it's all based on, a, on a, a, a principle, and the principle was that God had given Moses two sets of law. He'd given the written law, but he'd also given an oral law. And so it was, the, it was the Sanhedrin's responsibility to make sure that that oral law got put into writing in the Midrash and in the Mishnah. And so they would take... They would take the Ten Commandments, for instance, like, um, like thou shalt uh, um, keep the Sabbath. Let's just, let's just use that one. They'd take they'd, the, the, the command on the Sabbath day of rest. Um, and then let me, let me read you this. The, the rabbis explored and expanded the meaning of this simple provision of the law adding countless rules and regulations of their own to define what constituted work. You know, the, the, the commandment says, you know, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, and so they'd take the word work, 
And they'd say, ah, what, what is it that constitutes work? And so they'd write all this stuff about what constituted work. And then they'd compile it from several different, uh, you know, rabbinic sources, and they'd put it in this thing. Um, <coughs> by the time of Christ, the Sabbath, as interpreted by the rabbis, had been so hedged about with man-made rules and regulations that it had become an intolerable burden for endless do's and don'ts, the Lord brushed aside this vast accumulation of man-made restrictions. That's what this is. A collection of commentary on the thing that was really the law. Um, maybe I have deformed ears. Maybe that's, uh, maybe it just doesn't like my ear. Um, so, so, so that's what this is. You, you, you got that much? Well, when you see in Galatians 1.14 that Paul surpassed all of his contemporaries in the traditions of his fathers. It's this stuff. You know, all of this comprising a document 23 volumes long, all designed to help us understand 350 pages. And so, let me show you this, because I I think you know about... Turn to to Mark chapter 7 real quick. Because the subject of Mark chapter 7 is this tradition stuff. Um, um, Look at verse 12, Mark 7, 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? The Pharisees are not asking, Why do your disciples not keep the Torah? That's not what they're asking. They're asking, why, why is it that your, your followers don't, uh, don't honor this thing? Well, and I guess this was in, in also in, uh, in print by then too, by the time of Jesus. Why is it that they don't, they don't honor the traditions of the elders? Now, notice what Jesus says to all this. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, you uh, honor me with your lips, your heart, heart is far from me? For laying aside the, I'm in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Do you see what they did, ladies and gentlemen? They came to that which was really the voice and the mind and the law of God. They got all their rabbis together to comment on exactly what it all meant. And by the time they got done with it, the law of God was replaced by this thing which was comprised of this thing and that thing. He, he gives you an example. Um, look at verse, I mean, I'm still in verse 8. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things that you do. Uh, keep reading. Verse 9. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who cursed his father and mother let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, what, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban. You see that word? Do you see the word korban? 
Do you know where that came from? Nowhere in here do you find the word Korban. You find it over here. And so what Judaism did was take the Torah, begin to apply it to all kinds of rabbinic scrutiny, come up with commentaries about it, illustrations, definitions, expositions about what this said. And by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, this thing, which is the first five books of Moses, the Torah, this thing has been set aside. And this is the thing that guided the Jewish worshiper. Paul says in Galatians 1, I exceeded all of my contemporaries in the traditions of my fathers. To the point that we came up with this little scheme, a scheme called Korban, by the way, found in here. And Korban, now the, the, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Everybody know that? I don't think my kids knew that, but uh, um, that's just, my wife would hate that. Oh, my kids are wonderful. They're just precious, and they were perfectly obedient. Um, <laughs> but, uh, honor your father and your mother, you know? Um, so that Judaism comes up with this scheme, and they say, okay, here's the way that you can get around that. What you do is you take all your portfolio, and you pronounce it dedicated to God or Korban. And then, you can throw mom and dad out on the street for all we care. <laughs> yeah, they can take care of themselves. Because you are. So what they did with their tradition is replace the very mind of God with that stuff. <laughs> Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, Where do you think purgatory came from? Where do you think the ascension of Mary came from? Where do you think the perpetual virginity of Mary came from? From here? Not on your life. Not on your life. (laughs) It came from the traditions of men. Paul excelled. He, he, he shot past all of his, his contemporaries, not in honoring God by obedience to the Ten Commandments. Oh, no, no, no. His primary focus was that stuff. And you know what it did to him? You know how much it helped him? None. I want to read you a couple more things, then I'll quit. Um, if, if you've still got your New Testament open, go, go with me to Matthew 21. Um, guys, you're going to have to take my word for this, but if you don't want to take my word, you can look it up later on um, and, and just prove me wrong, but I, I don't think you're going to. But um, the, the passage that I'm about to read you is also found in Luke 13, 6 through 9. But I wanted to use the Matthew version of it for a reason. Um, um, this is verse 18. 
21, 18. Now in the morning, this is right after the triumphal entry. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road. Now guys, um, two of the images that the Old Testament uses to, to, <clears throat> uh, to address Israel is a vineyard and a fig tree. <clears throat> what Jesus had, well, um, we're dealing with a real life fig tree with no figs on it, but he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said, let no fruit grow on you ever again. By the way, you think he was mad at fig trees? You think that was the point of his condemnation here? No. No, he is aiming this at Israel, ladies and gentlemen, and he's saying, I came to Israel, this, this Old Testament fig tree. And you know what I found? I found a bunch of this, but I found no fruit. Therefore, let Judaism never bear fruit again. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you see in modern day Judaism all over the world. The result of that condemnation on the part of Jesus Christ. And the thing that she was missing, of course, is fruit. What she had put in fruit's place, the stuff. And it led to her ruination. Um, I started out by saying to you that this Galatians passage is sad, and, and I think it is. It's sad that a man, his, his testimony is, I, I don't know how old he was when he was a, became a Christian, but I spent so much of my life concentrating on things that ultimately meant nothing. There's nothing up here. Now, with this, I'm done. It was that man that God overwhelmed with the gospel of grace. And consequently, when he got ready to write a book about moralism or self-righteousness, his words were scathing in denunciation. Because if anybody knew it for up close and personal, it was Paul. He knew. There's nothing up there. Our Father, um, I pray that you have brought a group of people in, together in this room tonight who all understand just how empty is some kind of pursuit of human righteousness. Um, Lord, if, 
if there are a set of eyes that have not yet seen that that kind of um, that kind of human effort is fruitless if they cannot if they have not yet seen that would you open their eyes to see it now because the beauty is what you've done in all of our lives we weren't on a road to damascus but we were on a pursuit of godlessness and you knocked us down you picked us up you brushed us off you turned us around and headed us into another direction and for that oh god we will forever praise you so lord thank you for the the sweetness of the gospel and what it does to make us new it made this man new it's made us new and we glory in it We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.